0: You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network. ChristianHumanist.org
1: All the girls are complicated Everyone is precious To episode 126 of the Christian Feminist Podcast. I'm Sarah Thomas, and with me today are Victoria Reynolds Farmer and Carla Godwin. Hi, guys. Hi. Hey. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, introduce ourselves for any listeners that are new to the program. Uh, let's see. Victoria, would you like to go first? Sure. Thanks, Sarah.
0: I'm Victoria Reynolds Farmer. I have a Ph.D. in literature and gender and sexuality studies from Florida State University, and currently I live in a suburb of Atlanta with my husband Michael of the Christian Humanist podcast and our cat, Dorothy Parker. Uh, I work in community engagement for an Atlanta startup that serves women entrepreneurs, and I'm really excited to talk about church in this very strange time we find ourselves in right now.
2: Indeed.
1: Thank I'm, you so. Thank you so much, Victoria Carla.
2: Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. I'm Carla Godwin, and I um, have a master's degree in English from the University of Nebraska, which is where I went, where I met Michael Farmer, who is Victoria Reynolds Farmer's partner. <laughs> so that's how I'm connected to this crew. Um, I live in Minneapolis with my daughters. Um, I work in operations at a foundation here, and I have worked with post slash progressive evangelical churches um, for the last. Five years on various in various ways through the open network and an organization I started called She Is Called, which brought together female clergy from those congregations. Um, and I'm currently on contract with First Covenant Church here in Minneapolis as a digital content director um, or, or coordinator. So I'm helping them during this time um, just to figure out some digital content. So that has been an interesting addition to my, my um, tasks lately.
1: Excellent. Thank you so much, Carla. I'm really looking forward to hearing, um, how the piece that we read for tonight, uh, has resonated with your own experiences and what insights you might be able to offer. Um, I am Sarah Thomas. I have a PhD in English literature from Florida state university. I currently teach high school English in the Metro Atlanta area where I live with my husband and our dog. Um, and thank you all so much for listening in tonight. Thank you, Victoria and Carla, for, um, for agreeing to join me. Um, part of the motivation for this episode um, was inspired by, of course, our recent events. So tonight we're going to be talking about uh, church and COVID-19. In the wake of COVID-19 spread across the country over the past few months, many municipalities um, and states have put in place various social distancing protocols and or shelter-in-place orders. These protocols have ended up closing either essentially or actually houses of worship across the country. Faith communities have responded in myriad ways, from drive-through or drive-in worship services to pre-recorded, and live streamed offerings um, from closing sanctuaries entirely and locking the doors to choosing to remain open while maintaining uh, social distancing protocols, uh, among many other manifestations. Um, In the midst of these developments, some salient questions arise regarding what church actually looks like these days. How are we finding church and being church in our own lives? Um, What have been some of the challenges and opportunities for us as Christians, as women, etc.? And so these are some of the questions I'm hoping that we can explore this evening. So to begin, I'd like us to um, share a little bit about what uh, our experiences with our faith community's responses uh, to COVID-19 have been. So have services or programming been canceled or moved online? Um, how have ministries continued? Um, what have sort of your thoughts
2: been about it? Um, Carla, would you mind starting us? Sure. Um, so I have been a little bit between faith communities um, and have been just recently attending First Covenant Church here in Minneapolis. Um, I was able to speak there in March and do some content on Women's History Month uh, that month. And then in the middle of all of that, of course, COVID-19 uh, started to spread. And, and we decided, you know, nationally and state by state to do some um, um, Shelter-in-place type orders, in Minneapolis adopted that quite early. And so, mid-March, um, First Covenant decided to to stop meeting in person and to go entirely online. Um, so, the, so, and that's been it's been interesting because again, I'm kind of new to the community, but I've got a responsibility now to help prepare content. And so, um, what they've done for the most part is to create videos beforehand of the Sunday experience, and it's been really interesting because they have quite a um, a skilled staff um their musicians are are really skilled and they have you know uh, video editing skills um the pastor dan collison is quite interested in video editing and so he's been doing some really interesting things with his sermons um they had just hired uh, a new associate pastor um, pastor gia star brown and she's brilliant and is is doing all of this video stuff for the first time too and so everyone's learning this new this new way to present their, their material and their content. Right. Um, and then at the same time we started a podcast for the congregation to just give more access and, and more accessibility to the content that was being put out by video. So, so there's a lot going on. Um, and this staff has been remarkably agile about that, but my kind of continuing question has been, um, what happens with community engagement. And so coming on as a digital content curator and trying to kind of think through what kind of content would make sense for community is one thing, but at the same time, trying to figure out how do you engage community through these platforms when when physical proximity isn't possible, I think has proved to be more challenging than just creating the content. Um, so so that's been my experience thus far at First Cove. And um, it's been really enlivening and I found that um, for all the staff some of the content that they're getting to create they're doing some interesting things with you know poetry and art and music and um short devotionals based on just that what they're doing in their day and those kinds of things which have all been just fantastic and the podcast is you know interviewing um community members about what they're up to and, so, and sort of giving them a chance to have um input into into the community life and so there's there's so much that's been good but i i still I'm really in, in a bit of a conundrum about how you do engagement this way. So
1: that's fascinating. I, I, I like, uh, it sounds like you guys are doing some really wonderful things and maybe some things that, that my own community could pick up on, um, my own church could pick up on. And I, I think the idea of community engagement is a really good point. Um, we can talk about whether or not we feel like, um, the reading for tonight addresses some of that, uh, or if not, um, what we might like to see um, as we continue to explore some of these issues. Uh, Victoria, what have your responses, uh, your faith community's responses looked like over the last couple of months?
0: Uh, My parish canceled in-person mass, I think a little over a month ago, um, and we've been mostly watching masses on youtube Uh, they also connected us with a service that offers um, readings and uh, and devotions um, that we were paying for but is now um, free through our parish so we get uh, daily devotions and things Um, i know a lot of people in our parish uh, pray the hours um, and and can now access all of that for free instead of paying. So that's been really nice. Um, I also am on a mailing list where I get regular emails and occasional phone calls from the clergy in our parish. So I I do feel connected or as, as connected as possible. Um, but, uh, I have also been really sad Because um, I was supposed to be confirmed uh, as a full member of the Catholic Church this year uh, at Easter Vigil. And because we're not meeting in person and because we don't know when we will meet in person, uh, my confirmation has been delayed until we don't know when. And uh, I've really been struggling with that spiritually and emotionally uh, because it, it was an event that I was looking forward to so much, and I've spent so much time um, in preparation for it. I've done a lot of really difficult spiritual and emotional work, and and to be in, in kind of limbo about uh, when that work is going to pay off has been frustrating, um, but has also been a, a real opportunity to, to pray and meditate about what god is trying to teach me through this time um so i am i'm praying a lot i'm thinking about patience a lot uh i'm not sure i'm doing a fantastic job at at actually gaining patience but um it's it's been i think a, a really interesting and instructive uh journey so far and that's where i am
1: thank you so much for sharing that victoria um i i can only imagine what it must feel like to to on the one hand be anticipating something like full initiation into the Catholic church. Um, but at the same time, sort of wondering, yeah, when that, when is that going to happen and what is that going to look like? Um, as a cradle Catholic myself, my own experiences with the sacraments of initiation looked a little bit different. Um, but but know that, that I sympathize uh, with your experience um, and what you're going through. And I think that your point about about using the opportunity for prayer and for meditation is one of the things that uh, the article we're going to talk about in just a few minutes uh, covers. But I also think that, that there are some additional um, opportunities maybe that he doesn't quite talk about um, that we might be able to. Uh, to consider. Um, my experiences with uh, my faith community's response to COVID-19, um, like, uh, like the two of you, um, my parish uh, suspended uh, in-person masses um, so that uh, we cannot go into the sanctuary. Um, we have been provided with uh, a live stream daily mass option, Um, if we wanted to sort of watch services in real time. There are other um, Catholic offerings that do offer live streamed services, um, live streamed masses that we could check in on if we wanted to do that. Um, I have chosen to watch the pre-recorded masses offered by my parish. Um, I know some of the ministries uh, in our parish have also decided to move some of their content online. So some of us are meeting weekly, um, via, you know, Zoom and Google Meet and whatnot. Um, I know that some of the Sunday school offerings have had to look a little bit different, have either had to move to a home study model or, um, have had to use a combination of, um, either programming readily available online or, um, have had to move to some of these, online meetings in order to touch base with the instructors and the classes and whatnot. Um, I think that at least as of the last I heard, um, our closures are going to continue at least until June the 1st, um, they may reopen after that, but we are in that sense kind of in in a waiting pattern as far as uh, particularly going to mass and for, uh, for Catholics, um, not being able to or as a Catholic, not being able to participate in the uh, communion act itself is uh, something that I have found myself missing more than I thought I would. Um, although we do have uh, you know we do have recourse um, to alternatives, um, prayers that we can say instead, uh, but I do find myself missing actually that that act of of receiving communion with, uh, with other members of my parish on a weekly basis. Um, is there anything else that uh, you guys wanted to offer before we uh, dive into the reading for
2: tonight? I think I just have curiosity about your experience of missing that, um, and, and I'm curious if you have more more words is it about proximity to people or is it about that ritual as a as something that's comforting in its in in the ritual itself i i guess i just am curious
1: oh sure uh for me it's um i it's both it's being able to receive one of the sacraments in communion with my fellow parishioners but it's also the act of the sacrament itself the uh the taking of the bread and the wine um, which is something that um, that I've always found particularly poignant about my own experience as a Catholic. And that, yeah, it's for me, it's the reception of the sacrament itself. Mm-hmm. Um, that I find myself missing most. Um, there is in the Catholic tradition um, something called an act of spiritual communion. So it's a prayer that we can say during Masses at the moment when we might otherwise be uh, receiving, the, um, receiving the bread and wine. And uh, so that's something that I have been praying, but I do miss the, the physicality of mm-hmm. actually taking the bread
2: and the wine during Mass. Um, right. Oh, it's been interesting because at First cov, you know, that has been some of the discussion. They actually have had communion. And of course, it's a very different, um, there's a lot of different, I guess, theology and doctrine, more doctrine around um, the administration of of communion. So at First Cove, they actually have had communion and had people get their own bread and wine and serve communion to themselves, but in a in a communal way around um, with the pastor leading it, you know, through video. So um, it's just an interesting thing, the way that different um, traditions can hold, hold even that and, and how that is being impacted right now. You know, whether your doctrine allows for communion to be served by someone who is not ordained or who is not, um, clergy or whether it doesn't, uh, has, has an interesting impact when you can't have physical proximity, you know?
1: Absolutely. Uh, Victoria, what were you going to
0: add? Uh, you, you mentioned the, the prayer for spiritual communion and that is, um, something that, that I have been praying as well as someone who, you know, is, is not fully initiated yet. But, um, that is the part, I mean, I've, I've been crying a lot in general. We can talk about this more, but emotions are just really high for a lot of reasons right now. Um, but that is the part of the mass that makes me cry the most right now, because I just, I feel so, I, I feel the lack of my first eucharist so much um even though i'm really grateful that that prayer um exists and that i can um that i can communicate my desire for the eucharist that way but i i just keep thinking like this was supposed to have happened already and i I was supposed to be able to experience this miracle already and i can't
1: I can imagine there's something, uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth or, or project, but I can, I can imagine that there is, is a sense of loss, a sense of mourning that sort of opportunity that should have been, um, but that hasn't yet. And, and yeah, I, I, I can see where that would be, um, would be a heightened moment within, you know, watching the services and um, i, I and, know it's
0: going to be so incredible and beautiful when it happens. I I just hope that like i can i can stay focused on the fact that like when it does occur, it's going to be hopefully all the more beautiful because we've had to wait for it. But sometimes it's hard to focus on that in the moment of um i, I really like that you called it morning cuz i i feel like that's where i am.
1: Right. I I can I can understand that. That, that makes, that makes sense. Um, So are we ready to dive into the reading? Yeah. All right. All right. So the, um, so the reading that we're going to talk about tonight is a piece that I will, I will go ahead and admit is about a month old at this point. So, so some of the reflections um, that are made in this piece um, might have resolution by now, might have new complications, and we can talk a little bit about that um, as we tease out the reading. Um, the uh, title of the piece is um, "It's a, from It's from Gallup. It's uh, written by Frank Newport, um, who is a Gallup senior scientist and the author of two books, um, one called Polling Matters, Why Leaders Must Listen to the Wisdom of the People and a work entitled God is Alive and Well. The article that he wrote and was posted on April the 6th is called Religion and the COVID-19 Virus in the U.S. And the piece itself, covers uh, a handful of points. It begins by pointing out, as we've noted, that worship services um, across religious traditions have had to move online um, and had to do so, or you know, or move to television or move to radio. Um, they had to do so in very short order. Um, that on the one hand, um, this is not a new format that uh, Certainly services have been offered on television, on radio, and have been offered online um, for decades um, in these various formats. But what is new is that for many of us, it is now the only option for worship as opposed to being a supplement to worship or being one of many options for worship. So the piece then goes on to ask... Um, Or to make, ask questions or to make three different points. Um, The first of them is the question, what will be the impact on in-person worship once social distancing mandates are removed? Um, Ultimately, uh, the studies that have been done um, and that were summarized in this Gallup piece uh, reveal that it is going to be important, but that it will be perhaps months or years before we can get a full sense of that impact. The second point that is brought up in the piece is what will be the effect on personal religiosity um, as um, working in tandem with, or as an alternative to uh, community worship. Um, And as of the publishing date of this piece, uh, early reports were suggesting that faith and spirituality have gotten better, to use the term of the research question, in the the wake of COVID-19 spread, um, which could possibly lead to a religious renaissance. Um, And then the third point in the article uh, talks about the positive impact of religion and of religious people, um, points out that religion um, has served A And I'm going to quote the piece here, a positive, integrative, pro-social, charitable function in crisis situations. Um, And that as a result, um, through service work in communities and through prayer, there is great potential for religion and for religious people to have a positive impact on society as a whole. Um, so as we're thinking about this article and we're thinking about some of the things that Newport addresses, um, some of the things we might have liked to see, um, what, uh, what do you all think were some of the strengths or what were some of the pieces of this article that perhaps resonated the most with you?
0: Uh, one thing I wanted to comment on is uh, that, that question about has your religious... Um, experience, has your faith gotten better? Um, which I I don't really like that as a question. I am in my previous job was a survey designer, um, among other things, and I clicked through to the Pew survey uh, linked in the article that the author is drawing from, and I just think it's it's not a terribly well formatted research question um what does it mean for someone's faith to get better um i i think that is really broadly worded and doesn't portray a clear understanding of like how faith works in individual people's lives um so that's that's kind of my biggest uh issue with the article is that it it doesn't work to interrogate that question more though it it does um mention the wording of this question may not pick up all the impact of the virus situation some Americans could say that their pre-existing faith has deepened or become more important but not really gotten better um, which I, I do think that that notion of depth or importance um, seems to have a clearer understanding of, of how faith works for individual people at least in my opinion um, but other than that kind of uh, question framing quibble, I do think I saw a lot of my experience in terms of um, the effects of the virus on mental health, and also um, in the, the section about prayer. Um, I think those those things are, are certainly reflected in my experience, and maybe we can talk more about that later.
2: Right, yeah, I agree. I had that same feeling on the, the better-worst dichotomy, and just felt like a very strange or, or range seemed like a very strange way to measure faith. It just didn't didn't seem applicable um, to to the way that I understand or think about faith and how it functions. Um, I appreciated early on in the article, um he highlighted uh, that that media that that, you know, Radio, TV, all of this that, that churches have been using these kinds of media for a long time, um, and that that so this church is going online uh, isn't necessarily new. Um, I've had a curiosity for a while about the way that we use media in this sort of new stage, and I, you know, I feel like there was sort of a media takeover in the '80s and '90s uh, by Moral Majority and some of those others, other other evangelical. Um, type organizations that, that ended up making the evangelical voice really loud in a certain direction. And so as I've worked with post or progressive evangelical churches who kind of came out of that tradition and are trying to understand a way forward and, and rethink some theology and rethink some doctrine, um, media and, and content has been something that I've been really curious about. Like, how do we use that? How do we have these conversations, um, uh, in a way that could highlight another way to see some of the doctrines that that we feel that have been hurtful or damaging and how do we how do we actually engage those conversations in a way um, that that people can engage with and that actually connects us to or, or shows the connection to what we've come out of, while not necessarily um, aligning. The two. Um, so I've had a lot of curiosity about content. I've done podcasts. I've worked on content with people around the country who are pastors, um, and that that has just been part of my my thinking. So this time holds like a a, a moment of just like of just deep curiosity about how that how are new content streams like podcasts and YouTube where you have a lot more sort of private access to these platforms um, what that's going to do to our faith conversations um, because you don't have one dominant voice holding it so so I have curiosity about that and have felt myself in this time watching the churches that I've worked with around the country use these platforms, watching their live streams and being able to be part of their congregations in ways that I I can't normally Um, and some of them were already doing online worship but now they're doing it exclusively right so that has just been interesting to me the evolution of media and the way that people are using it and what that's going to do to like a dominant religious voice um i just i find that fascinating um i had a similar um feeling though about as you did victoria just thinking that um the conversation about mental health and the conversation about how our faith um can see us through times like this and whether or not it is and what does corporate worship have to do with that um both of you all talking about your experience with eucharist and and missing that as it's like corporeal like physicality right the physicality of that act i feel like part of what is straining right now is just simply that i am only interacting with about three biochemistries or three energies you know other people um, my children and, and and one other person and i have this sense of like uh, I'm I there's kind of a uh, an ache or a longing just in my being for more more energies more biochemistries to interact with and I find myself just really tired and really um, low and I think that part of our corporate worship is that interacting with people who we don't have regular interaction with and and that spurs something in our in our being and attention or something that right now just feels really muted um so so just missing being in proximity to people is just such a real thing and i think our churches have been a place where we practice that proximity weekly um, and just come together with other humans and remember that we're human and spiritual and and we're doing this thing you know Um, so so in terms of yeah, the better or worsening of faith, it's it's such a hard thing to measure, and it's it's hard when you hold that up against like mental health. Like if my faith is strong, does that mean that my mental health will be strong? I'm not sure that those two things align. You know?
0: Yeah, I mean my my mental health is not great right now. I the the section um, of the article that I when I started taking notes in all caps was the, um, the section of the article that begins, more Americans by contrast say their mental health, diet and exercise have gotten worse than say they have gotten better. Um, and that's, it's certainly true for me. Um, I have eaten approximately
2: every potato chip in my county in the past six weeks, um, which I- Oh I'm- yeah, sweet potato fries for me. I mean, just by the dozens, like, you know, bags.
0: Yeah. All the, all the potato chips and um <laughs> and I've been I've been drinking more too, um I, I can admit uh, not not a, a dangerous amount or anything like that but um but but certainly more than than normal, and I know those things are not good um but I I've, I've also just been generally trying to cut myself some slack, in terms of like failing at things because I, I have a, a diagnosed anxiety disorder. And, and one of the things that I struggle with generally is setting unrealistic expectations for myself. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a perfectionist. I'm a list maker. Um, all of those things that enable me to do things like, um, help run this podcast network and earn a PhD are also things that, um, are sometimes bad for my mental health if I take them to extremes. So I've had to really work hard um, during this time telling myself that expectations that might be realistic not during a pandemic are no longer realistic during a pandemic. That like these are weird times and none of us have ever, done any of this before, and we don't know how to do it, and so that means, you know, giving myself a lot of grace, giving other people a lot of grace, um, and just kind of really figuring it out day to day.
1: Yeah, I would, I agree that, that making space for, making space for grace with ourselves and with others, Victoria, is, so, so important right now. Um, and I, I will add that for me, it's been craft dinner. Um, I'm, I'm like a bare naked lady song or something, right. Wasn't there that line in, in the song yeah. a million dollars? Had A million dollars. Um, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Making the box of craft dinner and eating the entire thing for lunch and not feeling, you know, even a little bit bad about it, um, <laughs> has been one of my vices. Um, and I, I agree that, that the, the framing of some of the questions uh, felt a little bit awkward uh, to me, although I, I also um, recognize that there is um, that, that there are some useful points to take away from it, um, that, again, to the point that you all have made, that, that these are not, new developments but the sort of rapidity with which they sort of rolled out or with which people had to react to them I think I think that they're the the sort of reactionary and by that I don't mean it in a negative sense I mean in the fact that that so many of us felt a little caught off guard and sort of had to figure out how to respond um has, has been one of the most interesting for me and sometimes the most frustrating component of this, um, this, this whole trying to respond to church, trying to be church, trying to understand church, um, over the last several weeks. Um, I, Carla, when you were mentioning that, um, that you've been checking in with other faith communities, I was thinking about, whether or not I had tried to take advantage of that, that opportunity myself. And most of what I think has happened for me is that I have, um, I have seen a couple of other, uh, other churches mass offerings, which has been nice to see how, how other, you know, how different parishes um, approach their masses. Um, I've also found myself turning to um, turning to some uh, uh, some programming that I hadn't experienced before, um, but that I'm, I'm glad to have sampled. Um, I'm actually going to mention it when we get to passing on, so I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. Um, but finding sort of new ways to try to understand, understand my, my faith, try to understand my prayer life, um, have been some of the ways I've tried to frame um, my own understanding of what's been happening. Um, and one of the questions that I had for the article or that I had for you all that came out of the article, but that I wasn't entirely sure was addressed, um, was the connection between church and family. So we talked about the idea we've talked about tonight, um, the idea of corporate worship, the idea of, um, you know of of being in in communion with others in physical proximity and getting to to be with uh, people um, with whom you know outside of our own households um, certainly is is one of the you know revitalizing and and um, for me gratifying experiences of worshiping. But I keep coming back to the idea that that where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there. And so I'm wondering if there is a way that perhaps family or household can be thought of as church or whether church can also be family and I'm not sure if you all, if either of you has any thoughts about that. I might not be articulating it very well, so please let me know if I need to clarify. But ultimately, yeah, this idea of, of church and family, or church as family, or family as church, and wondering if there's an opportunity in the midst of this sort of maelstrom of we don't really know what's going to happen to try to find some sort of center there. What, what do you all think about that?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I hear your question, I really do, and I'm I'm trying to get articulate thoughts around it. Um, but I I think I, I I think absolutely where two or three are gathered, be that family or or otherwise, that 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 is a place God is. I believe we are, you know, in God and of God, and and we are. I I don't mean this uh in an entirely heretical way, but we are God to each other. I think part of being human is is wanting to be seen and known and and that that experience of seeing and knowing is what happens when two or three are together right that's part of what i feel like a god experience is (laughs) you know that um that there's a recognition of of existing and someone else existing and the two of you knowing one another do you know what i'm saying it it's not coming out the way that i want it to but that that thing i think is really real um so I feel like with my kids right now trying to practice um we're you know we're all here all day doing school I'm working um are I live in about a 900 square foot condo so we're just kind of stuck here in each other's company all day long and I think that I can get really used to just not seeing them like I'm doing my work they're doing theirs um and I'll hop in to help but I'm usually thinking about what I need to get back to and so I think presence is one of those things that like for me practicing being present to my children practicing showing up like with my with my being um, it is an is for me a spiritual and a church experience and is a moment of like actual connection with another being you know um, so so I I do think that family can serve as, as church in as much as it can call you back to presence. It can call you back to that place in yourself where you connect with other beings. And, and I think that in my understanding, the way I I see myself and God is that that is the God place in me. That's the eternal self in me that can pay attention to the eternal self in another being. And that's connection and intimacy and fellowship. Um, so that, that I think is real. I, I have a harder time with the idea of, of church as family. Um, and that, that I will own is probably my very specific experience of church. I've had a lot of pain through church and also some of the greatest joys of my life through church, which actually sounds a heck of a lot like family. So, (laughs) but I, I, I would love to feel, um, I think a thing that I crave is, is for our relationships to be as unconditional as, as family can be. Um, and yet, Sometimes the unconditional nature of family makes us um, unable to see each other well. So I'm not sure how to apply the family metaphor to church broadly, honestly. I get super stuck when I start thinking about that.
0: Um, thanks, Carla. I I really like the complexity of everything you said. And I think a lot of us have been really hurt by um, religious spaces and family spaces, too, that, that make those uh, terms really difficult to, to think about. Um, I, I want to speak to two things. Uh, first, my family, my physical relations um, are all Protestant. I was raised Protestant. Um, my family is still Protestant. My husband's family is Protestant. So we are going through a situation where... Um, in some cases, the, the people, um, who raised us, um, and who we live with, I should say my husband and I currently live, um, in his parents' house, uh, they are experiencing church in a different way than we are, just in terms of doctrinally and, and theologically, um. We have changed the way those things work for us. So, in certain ways, like i'm I'm really feeling those differences um because we are the only two Catholics or almost Catholics in our families. Um, that's something that I'm really trying to think through a lot uh, during this time when we're all at home together all the time. And the second thing I want to say is, um I was very sick. Um, a couple of weeks ago, for about a week and a half, with an apparently not COVID nineteen uh, thing that was nevertheless a serious respiratory infection. Um, I don't know; it doesn't really make sense. Uh, but I was I was very ill. Um, and very fatigued and didn't really know what to do about that Um, I had to get the test for the virus it was terribly uncomfortable I hated it Um, I didn't have symptoms for a while and then they came back at about 2 o'clock in the morning one day and I had to go to the emergency room and everybody was wearing masks and I was wearing a mask and it was super scary and awful and um, after that happened Uh, So, so many people, people I hadn't talked to in years, said, um, I'm praying for you, I'm thinking about you, Um, I put you on my church's prayer list, people there are praying for you, Uh, people called me and texted me and prayed with me over the phone, and people sent money to pay for our dinner, Um, people are still checking in with me some of them daily. Um, even though I haven't, uh, been showing symptoms in a while and am, um, it seems fully recovered from the, whatever it was. So I really, I, I really felt the church surround me in that moment of uncertainty. Um, and, and that was a a really incredible thing, like literally incredible to me. Like I, I still have trouble wrapping my brain around um, what that reaction was, except it was people being the church. Um, so that's kind of my experience of, of both of those intersections recently.
1: That's really, that is incredible. I think that's a wonderful way to describe that, uh, Victoria. Um, and I know that, I know that in particular to think about, uh, to think about, as you both put so articulately, and so I don't want to to stomp all over it, um, the complexities of family and the complexity of church and our experiences with them um, are ones that yeah are ones that are are multifaceted, that are complex, that can be sources of pain, um, but can also be uh, sources of grace of the kind that I think we've talked about um, you know, already this evening. And, um, so thank you both for, for sharing, um, for sharing those reflections. I think that, um, what am I trying to say? Um, I think that, that trying to, for me, trying to worship as, as family, um, And to make sure that my immediate, at least my immediate family is involved in, um, you know, in my experience of church to the extent that I can has been something that, that I've been trying to, um, to work through and something that I've been trying to appreciate very much. Um, but I also find myself missing some of the broader, uh, some of the broader implications of that, um, whether or not coworkers, for example, become a sort of, uh, family or extension of family sort of broadly conceived and the extent to which, um, I work in, um, in a parochial school in, uh, the area. And I have worked in parochial schools before and, um, and thinking about, you know, missing that sort of that community, as we've been trying to grapple with some of these changes that have occurred. Um, Anyway, they gave me pause. And so thank you both so much for your candor and for your reflections um, on that intersection. Um, Is there anything else that we wanted to uh, talk about this evening? Either as far as uh, this article goes or as far as how we're Trying to understand church, or how we're trying to understand um, what's going on um, as it it relates to
2: or touches on our faith lives. I think it would be interesting to just to look toward the future a little bit and kind of see if we if any if we've had imaginations for what that could look like for our faith communities. Because um, you were saying, Victoria, you know that this is a time where you're drinking more than normal and you're eating differently. And I'm for me, I, I, you know, drank more last night than I should have woke up at three o'clock this morning, couldn't go back to sleep. Like those are not normal experiences for me. That's not how I normally run my life. And sometimes what I, what I feel is an anxiety that I'll never get back to normal. Like I can, I can be kind to myself about the fact that those things are happening sometimes, but I, I'm afraid I'm not going to find a normal again, like a one that's forward moving. Like I, I feel stalled and like, maybe I won't get unstalled. Um, And I'm, so I'm, I'm really feeling that too. And And yeah. if
0: one more like brainless brand advertisement tells me about the new normal, like I think I'm just <laughs> going to scream like, no, I don't. This is not, this can't be my new normal. Like it just can't.
2: Right. Right. I I have that sense too. And I'm curious about like for our churches, um, what things they're going to take forward and, and what things they're going to just be like, I'm so glad to leave that behind. Um, you know, yeah, I'd love to just chat about that if you guys are up for it, you all.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, um, I, I also really, I, I chafe at the, at, at the platitude, or if it is that, although I don't think that's the right word at all, um, but the, <laughs> the the sort of quip about a, a new normal, I I would much prefer to to hope that that this is going to end up being anomalous, that that this is not, um, you know, the sort of yeah, that this is not a new normal. Um, as far as my hope. Moving forward for for my for my own parish community is that I, I'm I'm hoping that we can sort of take the, the best of of all these different modalities forward so that um, so that if opportunities are presenting themselves to reach for example for our parish community to uh, reach. The homebound, right? People who cannot come to mass on a regular basis. That maybe we could continue to to offer uh, masses in a format that people could see at home. Um, I think that would be wonderful. Um, but I would also really like to see a a return to corporate worship. I I yearn for the day when the churches reopen and we can see each other again um and i think the same goes for some of the other uh, ministerial programming i i would hope to see um yeah to continue to see uh using some of these uh new media uses as um as extensions of Person to person or in face ministry, um, but not the sort of new default modality for these uh, for these ministries. Does that make sense? It made sense in my head. I'm not sure if it yeah. made sense when I articulated it.
2: <laughs> no, it makes so much sense, and I think that um, I'm I I have that I have that curiosity too. And I think it's interesting, you know, as you all are talking about your parish your parishes, I feel this sense of you're talking a lot about the, the communal aspects of your, of your time together. And I think that the Catholic church does have these built in, like even, even mass, isn't just go as an individual and, and, and like see a performance. It's, it's a participatory act. And it's a thing that, you know, being part of the evangelical church from the time I was, you know, brand new, um, (laughs) my dad's a pastor in the, you know, in a, in a, a church in, nebraska that's a much more conservative church than the ones that i work with now but it's the same it's the same tradition right where in those churches um the sunday worship experience is much more of like a production there is music and there's a speaker and there are people on stage and and you will stand to sing or whatever and you might stand to pray but for the most part you're you're taking in content is i'm putting content in quotes because i know it's deeper than that but So the, churches that I work with and that I've typically been a part of this content creation mode isn't really like, it's not out of norm. Um, and so what I think I'm hoping for some of those churches and, and for the churches that I interact with regularly is, is a sense of what's missing in this time, that they really have a sense of missing the communal aspect and maybe find ways to broaden that or to deepen that when there's the opportunity to be back in proximity, um, and I, I'm, I'm, yeah, so I have, I have curiosity about, about that and how we do church and whether it's a thing we consume or whether it's a thing we participate in and what this might show us about that going forward. Um, so that, that's a curiosity of mine. I, I have had real desire from time to time to like not stop doing corporate church and do, uh, and I know this isn't a new impulse. There are people who have done like dinner church or whatever for forever, but to do life, with a small group of people really closely and and with the acknowledgement that we're spiritual it's not just dinner but that we're actually talking about our spirituality um um, and and lately i've just had this impulse to kind of scale back my my church experience to something that's much smaller and much more personal um so that and that that's neither here nor there i don't it's not a critique on the churches that i have been a part of it's it's simply like i think where i am internally right now so does that make sense
1: (laughs) Yes, it does. It does. Um, and, and the, the, the equivalent that I can think of is something that sometimes referred to, um, in, in churches I've been involved with, um, as sort of small group, um, small group ministries. Um, but that idea of, of, um, yeah, of sort of meeting regularly with, Uh, smaller groups of people to explore these questions of religiosity and faith and and community and fellowship. Um,
2: Right. I think that that my caveat would be because I've done small group things before. And I think that like a spiritual question is one thing. Mm-hmm. um spiritual communion is another thing, and i and I think that so often in small groups, you'll do a book study or whatever, and you'll talk about a spiritual idea. but I'm not sure that we always get to participate as spiritual beings with each other, and that that part is my curiosity and it's an it's not a new one. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of an old, i think, conundrum in corporate worship because you bring in all kinds of different people from all kinds of different, you know places and, and, um, what you're, are you coming to center around like each other's deep spiritual growth as, as people, or are you coming around an idea? And, and those two things can be, can be different. So that's my, my curiosity, I think for the churches that I'm a part of and that I've worked with is like, how do we, besides just being good at making content and making really pretty music and that kind of stuff, how do we continue to engage our, our spiritual as spiritual beings in like a communal kind of way. So sure that, that makes sense. Um, and,
1: and I'm, yeah, I'm interested to see how this works and in all of its, uh, in all of its manifestations, um, as we, you know, continue to move forward. Um, Victoria, is there anything you would like to add?
0: Uh, No, I I think you both uh, summed it up really beautifully.
1: All right. Well, then, um, if uh, we think that that's about all that we have uh, to discuss as far as the reading is concerned, uh, would we like to move to passing on? Yep, let's do that. All right. Excellent. Carla, would you mind going first?
2: Not at all. Um, So I read an article um, in The Times Uh, by nt wright and it's it's basically i'm sorry not in the times in time magazine (laughs) time.com it the link will be in the show notes um by nt wright on lament as a christian practice and a response to this time basically the title of it is christianity offers no answers to the coronavirus about the coronavirus it's not supposed to and and his thought in that was that you know Turning to faith as if it's going to give you a specific answer right now is uh, kind of in his in his thinking a fruitless practice. That that's not what faith is for. But what he did draw out in terms of a faith tradition is a tradition of lament, and that being a place to be right now. And um, that part of what lament offers is. Um, a space when you you can't find a solution, when there isn't a solution or when there it when you can't make it better, uh, lament is the place you can be and grieve and um I think that that we often kind of get I think stuck in our in our practices because we we use Christian practices as if they're going to lead us to a better reality. <laughs> you know what I mean, and they do sometimes, right? they do, but there are times that you that we can't get to that better reality, and then what does that mean about our faith? So I, I just found the article interesting and the idea of lament as a spiritual practice that is as important as other ones, I thought was just um, really useful. So that's my passing on.
1: Thank you so much, Carla. That sounds fascinating. Um, and I look forward to checking it out. Um, Victoria, what's your, what do you have for us this week? Um, I am recommending an article in this
0: week's New Yorker. Uh, From Lauren Collins, who um, is one of my very favorite New Yorker writers right now, Uh, she lost her father about a month ago. And in the article, she talks about how the fact that that is happening at the same time as this virus changes her experience of mourning and grief. Uh, and she talks quite a bit about uh, the notion of the church community and the funeral as being part of the grieving process and what it means to not have access to that right now. Um, it's a, a really beautiful um, meditation on love and grief. And I really felt like reading it, that I knew uh, something about who her father was as a person and... and um, really enjoyed that experience. So uh, it's called Reinventing Grief in an Era of Enforced Isolation by Lauren Collins.
1: Thank you so much, Victoria. Um, I look forward to reading this piece in more uh, depth Um, after, you know, after we wrap up our conversation. um, My aunt, my dad's sister, actually passed away two days ago. And um, we are facing, uh, my family is uh, facing some of these same conundrums right now. So um, so I look forward to seeing what Collins has to say in her piece. Um, my recommendation for this week is um, one of the resources that I have found myself turning to as um as we have been trying to find new ways to, uh, experience faith, um, new ways of understanding ourselves and church. And that is, um, a podcast. There are also uh, YouTube episodes available, um, of a program called the word on fire show. Um, I recommended in a previous, um, in a previous podcast episode, um, the, uh, a couple of, uh, Bishop Barron, Bishop Robert Barron, he's one of the auxiliary bishops in the Diocese of Los Angeles. Um, one of his videos, I think it was back during the Magnificat episode. Um, his, uh, podcast, the word on fire show, uh, takes, Uh, Takes on various topics uh, with regard to Catholic spirituality specifically and with regard to um, pop culture developments more broadly. And um, he produced a bonus episode on trying to find hope during coronavirus. So, as an alternative, um, perhaps to, or an antidote, if you will, to some of the. to some of the more fresh, uh, some of the frustrations we might be feeling. Um, I look forward to uh, hearing y'all's thoughts on that. Um, And with that, thank you for listening to the Christian Feminist Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. If you have topic or reading recommendations for future shows, or if you just want to drop us a line, you can do so at christianfeministpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on our Facebook page or at the network's Twitter handle, at chradionetwork, and check out the show notes from this and our other episodes at the Christian Humanist blog at christianhumanist.org. The Christian Feminist Podcast is a member of the Christian Humanist Radio Network. Kristen Filippic is our press liaison. For Carla Godwin and Victoria Reynolds Farmer, I'm Sarah Thomas. Tune in in two weeks when we'll discuss fake news. Until then, in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, and in all things love.